Uh, I am planning to come. Uh, I've been uh, careful to respect the independent role of the NTSB and stay out of their way. Uh, but we're now entering the phase where it's about policy. It's about what my department does, uh, which is ensuring that there's a high standard for these railroad companies. And I think an important part of that process is to be with the residents of East Palestine to hear their stories and to talk about the action that we're taking right now. Well, that was Pothole Pete Buttigieg uh, just a couple of days uh, that was actually on day 18, midweek, when uh, he was still uh, pushing off uh, requests to come as the Department of Transportation head to East Palestine. And finally, he did show up there looking like Bob the Builder, uh, or as Laurie Ingram said, someone from, uh, you know, the uh, the village people with his little hard hat on and his safety glasses. And uh, to comment on that and the tragedy that is unfolding in East Palestine, and which has yet to probably unfold in those people's health history, Virginia Cruda, who is, of course, a contributor to the Daily Wire and uh, also here on News Talk STL, and uh, both, uh, both uh, digitally and orally, A-U-R-A-L-L-Y, orally. How you doing, Virginia? Good morning. I'm good. How are you? I, I, I you know, I, I'll tell you the impression I got from from Mayor Pete on the ground was that Fix It Felix from uh, from the, the Disney cartoon Market Ralph. Yeah. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. You nailed it. That's right. <laughs> just because he's he's so little, and it's just sorry. I yeah. I, I digress. Um, <laughs> no, but but it's it's interesting that the head of the transportation part. Uh, department. Okay, so the Secretary of Transportation, literally the boss of the NTSB, thinks that it's really not his purview to be on the ground where the NTSB is working because that's not really what his department does. What his department does is policy. Like, we don't actually get our hands dirty and do work. We sit around and wait for everybody to get done with the work, and then we talk about what they should have done better. Yeah, you're so right. And, and well. This is a no, guy Virginia. who we all pretty much know is going to run for president again. Mm-hmm. But and, Virginia, you know, th- what, what's, what gets me about what you just said is the, um, the arrogance and the pomposity and just the petulant way he he gives the message of, well, the NTSB is an independent board and, and I don't want to get in their way. I mean, come on, man. I mean, especially from a politician, you'd expect at least if you had any political instinct at all, and he claims to, you'd want to be there and just be present, especially with all of the all of the critique that was floating around. I, I just thought it was at the height of arrogance and and, uh, 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 you know, people, I think many people probably believe him that, oh, well, well that the NTSB, that that's something else. He's got no, no business there. Oh, we understand now, Pete. And the media, the mainstream media bit that line hook and hook, line and sinker. What's interesting about that is that it's it, it is kind of he, he was in a in a rough situation by by the time he went to East Palestine because he was kind of uh, damned if you do damned if you don't um, because he waited a full like thirteen days before he even tweeted about the situation. So all of this is happening. He's the head of the transportation department. He didn't say word one on Twitter 
until like almost two full weeks after it happened. So once that happened, and he was kind of shamed into doing that, once that happened, it was kind of like, okay, if I go, then it looks like I'm going because I was criticized. But if I don't go, it looks like I'm ignoring the people of East Palestine. So what do I do? Because one's politically bad and one's just bad. And Biden's in the same boat. Because now I've heard I've heard people talking about, well, if Biden goes, you know, the logistics of a presidential visit and it might be more distracting and this time. That might have been true the first couple of days when there was still an imminent explosion. But it wasn't true five days afterward, and it wasn't true six days afterward or seven days afterward or eight days afterward or 14 days afterward when he was planning a surprise trip to Ukraine. You know, all of this stuff that they could have been doing. And the thing is, Biden really, I think everybody knows, what is Biden going to do in East Palestine? Is he going to fix the problem? Is he going to clean up the? Is he going to walk the? Is he going to you know walk out onto the street and suddenly everyone you know the mess is going to be? No, of course not. Biden can't do that. What Biden can do is show empathy for the people who live there, show up and say, "I'm with you. I've got your back." That's all his job is at this point, and he couldn't even do that. Yeah. And this is the guy who said, "I'm the empathy president." You know, not. Trump, Trump, who showed up in East Palestine with an airplane and two trucks full of supplies, mind you. I'm not Trump. I'm the empathy president, Biden says. No, you're right. And yeah, Pete, Pete Buttigieg could have done as well. I mean, he could have been there and said, look, I, I just want to be around and, and be here to observe how the NTSB is doing their evaluation, how the cleanup is going, uh, crack the whip on uh, Norfolk Southern, you know, do, do, you know, do, do be and a leader for crying out now. What's the beauty yeah. of it is that's all he's doing now. That's what he said his job is to do, to talk to the residents, to see how they're feeling, to see what they could do better, to see how they need to change. Doing that on day five. Well, this just and speaks, Virginia, to what to the, the, the what I call this just speaks to the whole attitude of swamp creatures, which is it's it's an elitocracy. That somehow they, they they under the guise under the the cloak of well we don't want to get in the way of the people doing the micro jobs you know we let them do those jobs there no they don't they don't want to get down and be with the people they don't want to they don't want to be seen as anything in in any way aligned with the kind of um, forgotten man connection that Donald Trump was able to make because that would admit that maybe he had something right there. Now, I wanted to ask you, though, about um, you, you wrote about this on your, your column on the Daily Wire. What is it that Pete Buttigieg and his press secretary have about cameras? Uh, in one I instance, uh, a reporter is walking alongside of him and his boyfriend. Or no, his wife, his husband. What do you call it? A husband? I don't know. A husband. Uh, they're out for a walk and he's on his personal time. And uh, the he takes a picture of the reporter who's asking him questions. Now, I have to admit that there comes there is a limit to I think that people should be allowed to have personal time, uh, you know, and I, I get that and should have some privacy respected. But that said, what was the point of him taking a picture of the reporter? What's he going to do about it? And on the other hand, 
Why can't a press, a press secretary, what aversion does she have against being uh, asked questions on camera? Can you unpack that? Well, you know, I think as far as the, the Daily Caller News Foundation, that was Jenny Tare, by the way, who he, he took a photo of. The issue with that situation is really it's not that he took the photo because he could have taken, as, as some people have pointed out, he could have taken the photo because he wanted to um, get her information and actually set something up with her later. Because, I mean, we don't, we obviously, given our opinions on Pete Buttigieg and the way he's acted in the past, that is not likely, but it is possible. It is possible that he took her photo because he's like, okay, I just told you that you need to set something up with our press office. Let's get your photo. We'll verify who you are. And then we'll do that. You know, you're being generous. generous. No, I know I'm, I'm, I'm intentionally being generous because I realize that's not what most people think. Okay. Now that said, I'm with Dana Perino on this. Yes, you can have personal time. Yes, you can have personal time even if you're a government official. But when you are the head of the transportation department in the middle of a major transportation disaster, personal time no longer exists. Yeah, yeah. You don't get personal time. That's right. When the department that you run is under fire because a major disaster is still unfolding. Okay. Two weeks before the train derailment, you may have personal time. Once we've got this Mm -hmm. all hammered out and all the pieces are in the right place and things are moving, then you can have personal time. Now you may not. And he's invited this kind of treatment on his so-called personal time when he was on uh, paternity leave, chest feeding, uh, you know, in bed with his new baby and his partner, uh, you know, during the during the supply chain crisis, when the when the container ships were lined up halfway across the Pacific. Same story, right? Different chapter. That's the other thing. That's the other thing. It would be different if this was not a pattern for Pete Buttigieg. If this was a, okay, he's been on the ground working, he's been working really hard, he's been accessible, and then one night, two weeks into all this, he's like, I just got to take a break. Mm -hmm. I think people would feel differently if that was the way he had approached this, but it's not. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like like Biden on the campaign trail when he called a lid at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. You know, if it was one day out of 300 then I don't think people would think it was weird. But when it was 13 days in a row and it was two weeks before the, the election, then it becomes an issue, you know? Right. It, right. It's, it's all about pattern with, with this administration. And it, it's pretty clear that the pattern is we're not going to do anything until the press forces us to. And because we're Democrats, it's going to be a while. Yeah, it's it's almost like a passive aggressive um, Tourette syndrome kind of a thing they have. You know, they just well, they've just got to push Biden these issues. What you know? Yeah, Jill Biden huh? does it too. They asked her; she's an African. They asked her, you know, um, it, when is President Biden going to announce his um, his run for reelection? Right, and she says, "Oh, he's ready to do it any minute." How many times does he have to say that? And people are like. Yeah. One, he hasn't said it. 
Everyone else, like Kamala Harris said, oh, yeah, he's going to run. Jill Biden says, oh, yeah, he's going to run. Kareem Jean-Pierre, oh, yeah, he's going to run. Biden, crickets. Like, yeah. how many times does he have? One. He only has to say it one time. <laughs> We're talking with Virginia Cruda. You hear her here and read of her here on News Talk STL, uh, both on air and uh, and at uh, the website, uh, NewstalkSTL.com. Now, uh, Leah, if you will play uh, a clip that uh, wanted you to play to set this up. Um, I didn't know if I'm sure you've heard about this. Um, Virginia wanted to get your reaction to the new Rachel Dolezal. Take a listen. The chief inclusion officer at a progressive group who claimed to be Latin, South Asian, and Arab descent, was just outed by her own mom. The woman refers to herself as Raquel Avita Saraswati. Her mother says her real name is Raquel Elizabeth Seidel. She converted to Islam in high school and has also come out as gay. For years, she has presented herself as a person of color. Her ethnicity was first questioned in 2015. Then last week, her mom told a reporter this quote, I am as white as the driven snow, and so is she. I'm German and British, and her father was Calabrese Italian. She's chosen to live a lie, and I find that very, very sad. So, Virginia, it seems like we have a new Rachel Dolezal. Uh, she identifies as this multi, as a queer Muslim multi-ethnic woman. Checks so many boxes that there's no boxes left. And she was the uh, she was the senior inclusion officer of this group called American Friends Service Committee. And her mom calls her out and says she calls foul on her. <laughs> what, what can you what, say about this? <laughs> what do we expect? We send our kids to school and the public school system is telling them that whiteness is bad and it's something you need to apologize for. It's telling you that you, if you identify as, uh, because you're born as a white cisgender human being, whether you're male or female, you are somehow less than. So what did they think was going to happen? I mean, look at, look at what happened before the civil rights movement. If you had um, people, people of color who did everything they could to pass as lighter or white even because they were being attacked for being other. Well, now it's kids who are, you're the oppressor, you're the bad person. Well, no kid wants to be the bad guy in the story. What do you think they're going to do? You tell them that being straight isn't special. So what happens? You've got 35 different genders to pick from now. And most of them don't mean anything. And that seems to be the way to get a good job. It's not. Well, yeah, it's you're not good enough if you're white. Yeah. You're not good enough. And, And if you identify with the gender you were born with. And Virginia, you know, we're seeing this proliferation in the uh, in the, the the higher education. Uh, we're seeing it across corporations in the C-suite. The the new uh, the onset of the the chief uh, you know diversity and inclusion officer. Now, 
I'm, I'm understanding that in Silicon Valley and in some of the tech, you know, the tech world and other companies, they're beginning to reel back as the economy is slowing down and the recession begins to settle in. Uh, maybe we're not so diverse, diverse in equity and inclusive concerning. That's going to be the first C-suite job to go. So I, I don't know whether this is going to be a flash in the pan that goes along with the economy or whether uh, it's pushback from uh, the right and conservative uh, elements, whether it's on media or at the school boardroom or, or people withdrawing their kids from those colleges. But um, it's just very troubling to me that this woman got away with this for years, you know, and uh, it took her mom to call her out, you know, and I, it's it's really I, sad. Yeah, I don't, and we're at a time, I you know. don't know. I don't know about that. I, I I will say this before before we run out of time. I want to tell you, I, I I don't feel bad that you bumped me for Jim Talent. I've known him for for <laughs> many many. I I met Jim Talent when I was twelve years old. I walked in. We were visiting a church, and I walked into the Sunday school classroom for the seventh grade, and uh, the teacher was a uh, then state senator, I believe, or a, a state representative. Uh, named Jim Talent, and that's how I met. <laughs> that's how I met our senator. Yeah, and I got to know Jim through uh, uh, a former radio, well, a, a former radio boss of mine, and uh, and, a, and still a good friend who uh, who held a, a little campaign event in his home. And I really got to know Jim, and and uh, he 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 didn't give a a stump speech. He gave a well informed uh, seminar on a, a number of issues at the time yeah. during one of his. Senate <laughs> he really races. did. He and, was. He's, I, you know, yeah, when, he's, I, when he's I met great. him, I had no idea he was in politics. I just thought he was a really nice no. guy. And no, he's you know, a great guy. And so well informed. <laughs> yeah, and I can't wait to see him uh, on the, on the 14th at that Defending Freedom event. And thank you for uh, for yielding the floor to Jim there because your usual slot uh, he was able to, to take. For, so I thank you. Hey, thanks, thanks, Virginia. Great analysis on this stuff, and I always love the way you connect historical reality to contemporary events and unpack things in a way that no one else can. Virginia Cruda at VA Cruda on Twitter. Thanks. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Bye. All right. When we. Folks, when we come back, uh, we're going to talk to, uh, well, I'm going to play for you an interview that was very important. Uh, we talked to Zach Smith. Uh, he's uh, from Heritage, the senior SCOTUS guy there, uh, policy uh, uh, wonk on on things legal. Talked to him on my Columbia show uh, last week. Uh, very important arguments going on, essential to the future of our ability to freely speak over social media and the impact social media can have on our culture. So we'll play that for you. Then we'll wrap it up uh, at the uh, 45 break. So stay tuned. More coming up on The Tobler Show on 1019-941 News Talk STL. Happy Ash Wednesday to you, Zach. Thank you, Cindy, Randy. I guess it's not a happy time. It's a, a solemn time when we are introspective and we're looking inward and, um, you know, anticipating some salvation up the road about 40 days from now. Um, Absolutely. And it looks like the Supreme Court is looking inward into the uh, Section 230 issues. And what are the what is the liability? What is the culpability, if any, of um, social media companies, Google in one case, Twitter in the other, uh, when it comes right. to injuries that ultimately happen to other people, the plaintiffs are alleging it's because of indiscretion on the part of social media. Can you unpack these cases that the Supreme Court is hearing? 
Yeah, these are two very important cases, Randy. They have the potential to reshape the Internet as we know it. As you mentioned, Google is involved in one, Twitter in another. And in both cases, Twitter and Google and in the lower courts, uh, Facebook and some other folks as well, were sued essentially as a result of uh, separate terrorist attacks. Twitter was uh, sued as a result of a terrorist attack in Turkey. Google as a result of a terrorist attack in Paris. And the allegations these victims' families are making, they're bringing suit under a federal law known as the Anti-Terrorism Act, the ATA, and they're essentially alleging that Google and Twitter knowingly aided and abetted certain terrorist organizations by either, in the case of Twitter, allowing them to use uh, its platform without taking sufficient proactive steps to remove uh, terrorists or related and affiliated content. And in the case of Google, uh, because YouTube and its algorithm essentially suggested terrorist-sponsored or terrorist-related videos uh, to several of its of its viewers. And so these cases are very important. Uh, one, because they will help determine the scope of liability tech companies could face under the Anti-Terrorism Act. But more importantly, because uh, in the Google case, especially, Google is raising Section 230 as a defense to potential liability on its part. Now, Section 230, if anyone's not familiar, it was a law that was passed in the uh, late 1990s as part of the Communications Decency Act of 1996, and it basically limited the liability of tech companies that were simply acting as uh, conduits for third parties to post or publish information. Now, the problem, Randy, is that today the technological landscape looks very, very different uh, than it did in 1996. Uh, what many tech companies today are doing, many argue, look much more like content moderation, look more, uh, much more like what traditional publishers have engaged in, in terms of curating content, you know, amplifying some, de-amplifying other content, uh, adding editorial notes. And so depending on what the court does with Section 230, uh, you know, if they scale back its interpretation, limit this liability protection that tech companies currently enjoy, uh, that could have a profound impact on the way the Internet as we know it currently works. So both the cases involving Google and Twitter are really not anything that would result in a direct attack on the legislation. This is these people are looking for damages. Is that right or wrong? Yeah, that's essentially right. And in fact, because uh, the primary claim is brought under the ATA, the Anti-Terrorism Act, Google has in fact told the court, look, depending on how you interpret the ATA, if you interpret it narrowly, as both Twitter and Google are urging the court to do, then Google said, look, you don't even need to reach this Section 230 issue, justices. And so it could very well mean that Section 230, the court doesn't even get to that issue. It doesn't address it and leaves that issue uh, for another day in a different case. But certainly from a political standpoint, if if the court was to, however they were to uh, conclude, if in their, you know, in their uh, writing they say, well, you know, they, they basically indict the companies as being maybe too selective in what kind of a conduit they are, I would think politicians might be able to have some fodder to, you know, put the reins on this unrestricted censorship that is currently the, the case with these companies. No? 
Yeah, absolutely. And look, we've already seen some of the discussions starting to play out in the House of Representatives and the Senate. And I think that's a good thing because, look, it's the job of the courts to interpret Section 230 as it's written. It's not the job of the courts to make, you know, far-reaching policy decisions that can have, you know, vast implications for us as a society. In fact, that's what we as conservatives have railed against <laughs> for so many years with activist uh, Supreme Court justices doing just that. And so I think it's important that the court get the scope of 230 as is currently written correct. I think there's a very good argument that lower federal courts have interpreted it too broadly to give too much protection to tech companies. But fundamentally, this policy uh, decision needs to be made in the halls of Congress where it can be thoroughly debated, thoroughly vetted by the people's elected representatives in the House and the Senate. Talking with Zach Smith, legal fellow and manager of the Supreme Court and appellate advocacy program. So uh, at the Mies Center for Legal and Judicial Studies at Heritage, you can read all of the great work that uh, Zach and his uh, colleagues at Heritage write on the legal matters at heritage.org. Um, you know, this it was interesting. I was looking at one report on, on a site that was sort of giving a blow by blow. It was an interesting commentary on a site called The Verge. Um, and, and they make the comment at one point that um, an old Twitter statement is coming back to haunt it. Concerning today's arguments, they said in 2014, Mother Jones wrote that Twitter was deliberately avoiding and taking aim at ISIS, quoting a Twitter official saying that, quote, one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. The attorney for the Turkish, uh, the Tam Tamney attorney, so the, the plaintiff's attorney, brought that quote back up today to argue that Twitter should, in fact, be found liable for supporting terrorists. I guess I would expect the plaintiffs to say that if you were uh, in a black robe sitting up there with, uh, you know, next to uh, Kavanaugh and, and Roberts, what would you say? How would you interpret that? Would you would you uh, argue something back against the, uh, the Tamney attorney? Well, look, it doesn't shock me that someone at Twitter made that statement. Uh, you know, they have made many, many problematic statements. And we've heard many of them in the Twitter files that Elon Musk released. We heard some of them at the House Oversight Hearing uh, that was conducted several weeks ago. Uh, but look, fundamentally, this is an issue about the scope of the ATA, the Anti-Terrorism Act, how it should be interpreted, what it means to, to essentially knowingly aid and abet terrorism organizations. But, you know, I think one of the things that's, things that's been lost in a lot of the coverage, uh, Randy, is that whatever the court does with this Google and this Twitter case, this won't be the end of the road in terms of our discussion and, in fact, ongoing litigation involving tech companies and the scope of their ability to limit speech, remove speech, you know, in terms of the power they wield over us as a society. Because keep in mind, if you remember, uh, Last year, Texas and Florida were two of the states that passed legislation taking aim at tech companies that specifically prohibited tech companies from deplatforming certain individuals political views based on their viewpoints and of course both of those laws were challenged now the fifth circuit court of appeals that hears federal appeals coming out of texas they have held texas's law the 11th circuit court of appeals which hears uh, federal appeals coming out of florida and several other states they struck down most of florida's laws and so both of those cases the supreme court is currently being asked to take up both of those cases the justices have not agreed to hear those cases uh, but just within the past several 
weeks, justices did ask the Biden administration to weigh in and give its views on those two cases. And typically, whenever that happens, that means there are at least several justices that are interested in the case. And those cases where the Biden administration or, or any presidential administration has been asked to weigh in, uh, those typically have a much better chance of being granted review uh, by the court. Not to mention, you know, the Fifth Circuit and the Eleventh Circuit, they come out different ways on these similar cases, uh-huh. uh, which also makes these uh, very ripe for the justices to hear. I thought I, I thought it was interesting that Justice Gorsuch, Gorsuch must have had a Walden's Pond moment when he said, quote, in a very abstract way in the world, everything is connected to everything else. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's, uh, he's not wrong, I guess, necessarily. In today's, uh, you know, ever-increasingly uh, technologically uh, connected world. Yeah. Uh, but look, I think it highlights, you know, in terms of the policy, uh, Randy, you know, this is something we want our elected representatives in Congress to ultimately resolve. And so I suspect whatever the court does with these two cases, we're going to hear this debate continuing to happen in the halls of Congress. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I'm just a simple guy and clearly not in a... Uh, uh, you know, a former uh, assistant U.S. attorney in the Northern District of Florida. Uh, but, you know, so I, I make these, I make these uh, you know, first-year law student comments, and I'm not even a law student, but I got to tell you, if I, you know, if I saw that the turnstiles at the Metro in D.C. wouldn't let... Um, you know, MAGA people in because D.C. is a blue, a blue town and they let uh, Biden 24 wearing, uh, you know, T-shirt wearing people through without a problem. I mean, that's that's basically, you know, regulating based on political philosophy, a public uh, what is a public conduit. Right. Uh, getting onto the thing. And well, in the old days, Ma Bell, as far as I know, didn't listen in and had no jurisdiction over and didn't in any way, shape or form bottleneck or, or limit or fill or the traffic that was going over the phone lines. And I think that's sort of what right. the 230 thing was about. We're in a, like you say, we're in a different world now. So I, I, I don't know that the spirit of that law is is any more being, is, is being um, abided by, by these companies. That's just my interpretation. Well, I'll make three quick points in response to that, Randy. One is, I'm just a simple country lawyer from down in the front. No, of you're not. No, you're not. Uh, Don't be humble. Don't I be say, humble. So take what I say with a grain of salt. Uh, the second thing is, you know, the turnstiles in D.C., and this is a different conversation, but right now, you know, you can uh, jump the turnstiles and nothing will happen to you in the District of Columbia. They don't enforce fair evasion and a host of other laws. So, you know, if that were to happen, the MAGA crowd could just, uh, you know, jump the turnstiles with impunity. <laughs> because no one's getting prosecuted for that in D.C. And then the third and the most important point is you've had a fundamental uh, issue that keeps coming up in these cases. You know, our Twitter, Google, Facebook, you know, pick your tech company, any of these tech companies, are they essentially acting as arms of either the state or federal governments when they take some of these, uh, you know, censored uh, actions, when they choose a certain certain types of speech or speech with certain viewpoints. And that's very important because the metro in D.C., you know, it's fun. 
fundamentally uh, a governmental entity. And so if they were to discriminate based on viewpoint, uh, based on other uh, content matters contained within speech, well, that'd be a First Amendment violation pretty clearly. These private tech companies, though, aren't necessarily arms of the government. You know, when a private actor, whenever they take certain actions, uh, that doesn't necessarily violate the First Amendment or any other constitutional provision. And in fact, these companies themselves have First Amendment protections, and that's what they're arguing in many of these cases. But if they're acting at the behest of the federal government, if they're acting essentially as an arm of the federal government, uh, which, you know, as we keep finding out more and more information, I think the stronger and stronger case uh, can be made for that fact, especially in light of some of the emails and other exchanges that have come out, then in that case, you could potentially have a First Amendment violation. And so a lot of the litigation in the lower federal courts, a lot of the, uh, you know, kind of uh, punditry and scholarship surrounding some of these issues has focused on that issue, whether they're acting as arms of the state, uh, because that's the key uh, component in order for there to be a First Amendment constitutional violation by these companies. If you're just joining us, folks, uh, we really cherish our time with Zach Smith, uh, the legal eagle here on 93.9 The Eagle and KWS every Wednesday from Heritage. And it's rare to have a former U.S. Uh, assistant U.S. attorney as well as, so that's on the criminal side, I guess, mainly, right, as, and civil, as well as a constitutional law expert and looking at the at the SCOTUS. So that's why we really treasure our time, Zach. And I always get a kick out of the, the common sense lay approach to things and how sometimes, you know, when you really parse it down to the legal aspect, you know, okay, we got to maybe be a little more careful and make not make big broad brushstrokes, but <clears throat> that's what I'm alluding to when I say I'm just a simple guy. I think most people listening are like, come on, these people are, these people are asking, are acting like editorial content writer editors, you know, and they're determining what's going right. to get published and what isn't that, that no way, shape right. or form is, is, a, is, is anything like a, just an open conduit. All right. Another thing that uh, your colleague, Tom Jipping wrote uh, today in the daily signal um, was about um, this issue about uh, mailing the, the prohibition against mailing abortifacient drugs through the U S postal service. It's been on the books for a long time, but the Postal Service is trying to go do an end around that to to you know enable people to obtain abortion drugs by mail after the after the Dobbs decision. Can you can you yeah. tell us briefly about that? Yeah, well, essentially it's the same story, different day, right? We've seen it time and time again from the Biden administration, basically either ignoring a rule or statute. That are interpreting it in a very creative way to reach whatever result they want. And this is just another example of that. There's a law in the books, the Comstock Act has been on the books since the 1870s, and it basically prohibits uh, the Postal Service from shipping anything that's designed to aid or induce an abortion. Uh, but the Biden administration, they've taken a very liberal interpretation of that. Uh, they've said, well, that can only be the case if someone intends it to be used for that. Now, how the Postal Service is going to know the intent uh, behind what anyone chooses to ship in the mail, you know, that's beyond me. I think, uh, you know, uh, many days we're doing well if we get our mail at the correct place at the correct time. Uh, but look, you know, 
it's a creative interpretation uh, that unfortunately flies in the face of the text of the statute. And so I'm hopeful, you know, this is going to be challenged, I suspect. And so I'm hopeful when that happens, you know, a judge, as has so often happened in the past, will tell the Biden administration, no, uh, you're violating the law. You cannot do that. Well, Zach, you have my number. <clears throat> so tell him if that judge wants any kind of common sense jurisprudence advice, it would be entirely <laughs> free. And I'd spend as much time doing that as he'd like. OK, well, I will do it for sure, because uh, I think too many judges need some common sense. <laughs> well said. That's the final word. You, you, you need say no more, because that I think a lot of us agree with you there. Zach Smith, thank you for being with us. Always enjoy it and uh, enjoy your Ash Wednesday. And we'll see you next Wednesday on uh, on our legal segment. Thanks, Zach. Excellent. Look forward to it. Okay, Thanks, Randy. Too. Take care. and talk. The Chinese are not our friends. That matters to St. Louis. Now they're buying our land. They'll do whatever it takes to beat us. Nikki Haley! I am running for president. 101.9 and 94.1. Country's under attack. News Talk STL. Seidenstricker Noby is your John Deere partner for the land. Right now, we have affordable pricing on John Deere compact tractor packages with a mower and a loader starting as low as $216 a month. With our exclusive S&P 10-year warranty, this is your chance to add versatility and power to your outdoor lineup. Plus, be on the lookout for our 2023 spring tent sale schedule. Visit snpartners.com for more information. Some restrictions apply. See dealer for details. Offer expires 4 Hi, Jen Walner here. As a former foster child myself, I have always been an advocate for foster children in our community. Angels Arms is an amazing organization that provides a stable, nurturing, and loving family environment for these children. They ensure these children have not only the childhood they deserve, but the resources needed to become successful, thriving adults. I truly believe that this organization is transforming lives, and I could not be more proud to be a small part of that accomplishment. For more information or to get involved, visit angelsarms.org. Would you agree that there is a point in history that every city must face? The city of St. Louis has been under a one-party rule for over 70 years. That can begin to change on March 7th and April 4th. Hi, this is Mary Teresa McLean, chair of the Republican Party, City of St. Louis. I want you to go to stlvoters.com now and meet our two candidates who will change history in our great city. Thank you for taking the time to go to stlvoters.com, where good decisions are made. Paid for by St. Louis City Republican PAC, Curtis Farber Treasurer. Okay, forest animals, today is a new day. Kids are coming to the forest, and it's up to us to make their visit a good one. Sparrow. Yes? Have you practiced the most popular bird songs for the year? Of course. Catchy. I like it. Okay, river. Dude, how's the temperature? It's a refreshing 52 degrees, man. Perfect for a little riverside shoeless relaxation. Ah, good. Owl, you hear? Cool. I am. Look, you know the drill. Sleep during the day, scare the kids at night. Perfect. I love my job. Uh, oak tree? Sup? Still in the same place I left you last year. That's what I like. Consistency. Well, it's not like I'm going anywhere for the next couple hundred years. I know. I love it. Uh, turtle. Turtle. He's not here yet, man. Ugh, he's late every morning. You'd think you would have learned by now to leave the night before our meetings. Okay. Squirrel. Has anybody seen Mr. Squirrel? The forest has been preparing just for you. Visit a forest near you today. To learn more about cool things to do in the forest, visit discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. What would you give for a child you loved to make their wish come true? To help them fight a critical illness? Just imagine what you'd do. 
You see, wishes are so powerful, and you can make them real. They can give a child back their childhood, even change the way they feel. Every single one of us can make the stars align, because when we come together, hope and joy will shine. Wishes need stars like you. Visit Make-A-Wish at Wish.org. St. Louis's new choice for conservative talk. I think they're trying to attack the American people. Live and local. Gabe, Mike, Ken, you guys are my morning cup of mental coffee. I love the show. Definitely a convert from the old one. This is News Talk STL. This hour, the Randy Tobler Show brought to you by Advanced Dentistry Now. Doctors Dan Cusimano and Dr. Megan Dwyer. 636-978-0226 or visit them on the web at advanceddentistrynow.com. It's good to hear that uh, that music in this season. If you're uh, observing Lenten season, that's uh, it is a time to become introspective and and think about um, your relationship to uh, God and each other, and you know maybe to your own behaviors, and think about. Uh, what you're going to give up and maybe fill it with something meaningful instead. It's always a good thought. You giving up anything for Lent, Leah? Do you do that practice? I don't. Oh, okay. Um, well, maybe Joe Biden should give up contemptuousness for his people. Joe Biden uh, was caught off mic. I think we got a little clip of uh, a little clip of uh, and a little insight into the real Joe Biden. That's clip 1A from 222, what he thinks about the people. Well, at least some people. I couldn't understand that. What he said was, you think any of these guys bought that BS? And an aide says, oh, absolutely. Biden says, yeah, those guys will believe anything. Let's get out of here. Wow. Wow, wow. I guess there may be certain instances you can imagine yourself in, but then you've been deceptive, haven't you? I mean, you know, think about it. Is it best to be totally truthful, at least as much and as often, as fully as you can be, no matter the consequences? Or is it best to uh, be chameleon? It seems as though that has become the default for many of our politicians, and especially, uh, I, I would think it's, I think this may be true of the uniparty at all high levels. What they really think of us and what they say to our face may be two different things. And, you know, Leah, the last time I checked, that's not that's not a very uh, biblical slash Christian way to uh, to behave, is it? No. Mm. At any rate, maybe Biden can give that contemptuous behind your back um, cynical view of the world and behavior. Maybe he can give that up for Lent. <laughs> but I'm not counting in on anything. I'm not holding my breath. We like to play uh, some Biden bites once in a while. That's what we'll call this segment, the Biden bites segment. It'll give you a little little taste of Biden here and there because, boy, he's the gift that keeps on giving. Now, here's another one that um, he said this the other day, and I'm still trying to figure out if Biden was looking through some Ukraine colored glasses when he said this. Clip two, go. All across my country. 
the big cities and small towns. Ukrainian flags fly from American homes. <laughs> now, it was raining when he said that the other day. You know, he was in Ukraine and he was it was raining here in the States. And I'm just wondering if maybe he had a surveillance camera or a drone that, you know, maybe in his neighborhood, there's Ukrainian flags flying all over down the street. But Leah, I don't know. You live in the St. Charles area, right? Yeah, I, I haven't seen any Ukraine flags. <laughs> Driving up and down your street in the neighborhood, you haven't seen those. Uh, yeah, no, I, I not don't a know. single one. Yeah, I was in St. Louis uh, yesterday, uh, driving up to North St. Louis, up through Lucas and Hunt, where my dad was buried, up at the Memorial Park up there, as we were visiting his grave. And um, if you're just joining us, I was telling the folks who was here earlier that my my brother, because my dad had a wicked sense of humor. He died a year ago. So yesterday the family convened at his grave and we had a little, you know, some comments and memories and talked about it. And it was funny. My my brother brought a, a fishing lure and placed it on the on the tombstone. I'm, I could hear dad laughing, I think. I, I don't know, standing there. I could hear the ground sort of doing that tremor thing, you know, laughing. Maybe it was just me. And I'm sure dad got a kick out of that. We were best of fishing buddies. But... Um, I didn't see Ukrainian flags up on Lucas and Hunt or Natural Bridge or anywhere around the airport. I, I just didn't see them flying everywhere. But maybe it was just the weather. Maybe people had taken them in. <laughs> that was a bit of misinformation. And finally, here's Biden now getting totally confused, absolutely confused <laughs> about NATO. Clip three. We build a coalition of nations from the Atlantic to the Pacific. NATO. To the, in the Atlantic, in Japan, in the Pacific, I mean, across the, across the world. I, I, that last time I checked, Leah, NATO was confined to, you know, Europe. Yeah. <laughs> and he just got, he just got totally flummoxed and confused. And it just, <laughs> and if you see the video, it's even more uh, worrisome as far as this president who it's uh, apparently being reported this morning the White House is confirming he will run but then again there's been these reports before I want to hear it from Uncle Joe's mouth I want to hear it from Uncle Joe's mouth well I guess uh, gosh we've run to the end of our time and I really thank you for being with us it makes a lot of uh, of of our weekend and our entire week when you're uh, when you're here with us so we thank you for that I want to remind you that despite the threats of World War 3 nuclear war whatever remember this is the season of Lent and uh, that God who gave us salvation and ultimately will make all things right, no matter how us humans mess it up. And our faith and our freedom, as long as we have it, will find our way to keep this country, well, maybe restore it to the greatest one the planet's ever seen. For Leah, I'm Randy Tobler. Thanks for being here. See you next time. Have a great weekend. Men hold.